0: Hello, hello, hello,
1: hello Hey everyone, welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian This week is a little bit different I'm being interviewed on a podcast by Rob Tyson Who runs a podcast called Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast It's a really very interesting podcast about mining uh, not so much about projects and finances, but about the people in the industry, and largely consists of interviews, uh, like the one with me, that just didn't, that just uh, got published on January twenty second. So, if you'd like to listen to his podcast version over there, you're more than welcome to do that. Otherwise, stay tuned, and you can hear it here. Welcome
2: to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson.
0: Hi mining community, welcome again to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today I've got Brian Ulrich, who's the Vice President of the Geotechnical Division at Stantec. Um, They're a company that provides a wide array of services, um, engineering, design, project management, plus many more, um, that begin at the intersection of any community, creativity, and client relationships across a range of sectors, including mining. Um, I'll let Brian explain in more detail about his company, and about himself, um, and also he has a he has his own podcast. So I'm sure he uh, he mentioned that. Right, right before we actually start the podcast, um, I wondered how many people who are listening are going to go be going to the upcoming Indaba Mining Conference in 2020, um, which is in Cape Town south africa from the 3rd to the 6th of february which is only a few weeks away um, well hopefully quite a few of you um, the event is about investing in african mining in darba and solely dedicated to the successful capitalization and development of mining interest in africa um, there you can meet everybody in, who's everybody who's anybody from the the world's more, uh, biggest industry um, giants from tomorrow's barrier um, Breaking distributors, everyone who's anyone here uh, that you can connect with within the uh, mining industry, um, and with all Dig Deep listeners, I have a special offer. So all listeners can receive um, a ten percent off your Delicate Pass for being a uh, for being a listener. So um, if you, I I I'll have everything in the show notes accompanying this um, podcast, but if you enter dig deep 10 at the uh, checkout when you go to buy a ticket you'll get an extra 10% off so hopefully I will see some of you there if you do introduce yourself to me or we can arrange to meet um, during the event Um, if you've got obviously any any um, questions you want to ask me whether that be in recruitment whether that be just the mining industry as a whole um, yeah feel free to uh, reach out to me so let's get straight into this podcast, and I want to welcome Brian. How, how you going, Brian?
1: Good, Rob, good, and I'm uh, very jealous of your trip to Cape Town. It's a beautiful place to go, and what a time of year to get out of the, the winter doldrums.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, here, here as the, in the time of the recording of this podcast, um, we just had gales uh, yesterday, so um, it was pretty windy, not too, too cold but um not the temperatures that cape town will be probably about 25 plus so um yeah, yeah looking forward to it so um what I want you to do is obviously just um obviously how I kick off most of these podcasts is just explain a little bit about um your background from graduating how you uh, how your career developed um to where you are today um and obviously talk about a little bit about stand Tech. And then I've got a few questions around your sort of specialization, which is uh, tailings, um, tailing dams. So obviously it's been in the news more recently over the last year or two. Um, and you seem to be an expert in that area. So um, yeah, so fire away. Can you just give us a little bit of uh, background about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, that's very kind of you. Uh, well, uh, originally I wanted to be a geologist because I was just fascinated with rocks and minerals. I had a rock collection like lots of little kids do, and my grandmother got me into the rock collecting. I had a cousin who was a little bit older than me, and he said, Well, that's good, but you should really be an engineer. It's a lot better to be an engineer. And he was a mining engineer, so he said, Well, you know mining has a lot of really good stuff in it and that's really a good place to go into so i got a couple of undergraduate degrees from new mexico tech and that was in mining engineering and geological engineering i got out of school in an extreme down cycle like we've all been through a few times and i was very fortunate to get a job at the u.s bureau mines i was in their underground rock mechanics department and I got a very different exposure to the world uh, underground, mostly in coal mining in the Western states. And I developed a really close friend at the Bureau of Mines, and he got a job at a consulting company, and he was telling me all about it, things that were way over my head. And I, I said, well, you know what, Bill, I won't be angry with you for leaving as long as you bring me on with, with you within six months. And he did just that. And, and it really surprised me that he, he did that, but it gave me an amazing start to my career uh, in soil mechanics and geotechnical engineering, especially mine waste management. We are a very small company. In the beginning, we only had three people. My employee number was three, and that was with a company called Knight Peacehold, which uh, globally specializes in mine waste management and they have other specialties in each of the offices. It might be highways or uh, renewable energy or, or or something like that. But I was always in the mine waste management and geotechnics. And uh, a l- little bit into my career, my boss asked me, he says, Brian, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could get a, a, a master's degree? And I said, yeah, that, that would be really great. But if I stuck around here in town, it would take me 10 years to get that degree. And he said, well why do you find some place to go away and study? So I found the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada, and they had a fantastic program, and they had some amazing professors at the time. Obviously, one of the highlights of my professional career was getting that master's degree, and it gave me a completely different outlook on the technical side of the, the work rather than just, um, uh, you, you know you know, what what you learn on the job. So the technical side really helped bolster my career. Um, and I, I stayed with KP for about three decades before I came over to Stantec uh, a couple of years ago. And Stantec, I'm not really speaking on their behalf, uh, but they're a global company, about 22,000 people, where KP has maybe 10% of that. But we do... A, a lot of things, I think everything from golf course architecture to uh, building fully automated m- buildings that turn potatoes into frozen French fries. Right. And, and so we, we do a lot of things. My particular part of the company is pretty small. We have about 800 people worldwide, mm-hmm. so we're, we're still within our own particular specialty, a pretty small group.
0: Yeah, and so if you can explain a little bit about what your group does in mining, um, so the audience, so the audience knows knows what you do in the background.
1: Yeah, so my particular group really specializes in tailings, mine tailings management, and for anybody that doesn't know what mine tailings are, there there's something that occur especially in hard rock mining, especially precious metals, where the ore is crushed and pulverized. The um, the the metals of interest are extracted, and the leftover pulverized material is called tailings, and it's usually almost always a wet process. And those tailings are transported as a wet slurry to a tailings facility, and from there it can it can take on a lot of different avenues. But uh, the the tailings management, the construction, the the site investigations, design um all, all of that is what my company really enjoys doing
0: okay okay um so obviously you've explained what tailings dams and i'm sure or well, tailings i'm sure most our listeners would know that maybe some that don't so yeah appreciate you uh, explaining that um, yeah so why did you go into tailings or specializing tailings dams <laughs> and well, what attracted you to to there
1: Well, it it was really my friend Bill who attracted me into my previous company, and I really knew almost nothing about tailings management. Uh, I I didn't get much of that in my undergraduate degrees. But once I got into it, as a geotechnical engineer, it, it offers a lot. It has almost everything geotechnical that you can imagine. Uh, I'm not even sure if I can do the list justice, but there's slope stability and seepage or site investigation and situ testing, laboratory and laboratory analyses, uh, seismic hazard, liquefaction, just about anything that you can imagine as a geotechnical engineer. So where, where some parts of geotechnical engineering are very focused, like on foundation engineering, Uh, tailings dam engineering has almost every aspect of geotechnical engineering so you can you can more or less live the dream as a geotechnical engineer if you're doing tailings
0: yeah yeah um one question i suppose because obviously tailings has been in the news more recently um over the last obviously year or two um what why why is there why has there been these big issues in uh in some of the well, maybe disasters that have happened, and what, what, why, why has I suppose companies failed in their tailings, and what do they need to do differently?
1: Yeah, that that's a really good question. And um, mining failures have been going on for a very long time. There was one in England called Aberfan that I think happened in 1964, and it was not a tailings facility; it was a coal tip. And it trag- tragically failed and and plowed into a school and um, killed a lot of people. Okay. So it, it, it's not a new thing. And I, oh. I think if you go back into the historic record, you can find these things that happened um, throughout history. But you're you're right; these things are becoming more into the forefront. Yeah. And part of it is better reporting, but part of it too is the extreme tragedy that is suffered by some of these failures. In in most cases, it's not a lack of technology. I I think all geotechnical engineers know how to solve a problem if they know everything that's in the equation. Uh, A lot of times, it's operator error. Uh, Things get mismanaged. I, I, I can't speak on any particular events that have occurred lately, but a lot of it, there's a disconnect between the designer, the owner, and the operator.
0: So it's a pretty common. Th- so each each disaster, it's it's a it's a common theme. Then so it's it's nothing new that's been necessarily learned. Would you say it's just integration between different departments and different stakeholders and different people within that part of a mine.
1: Yeah, there, there's a report that's been circulating for a number of years now The that uh, chronicles the tailings dam's failures over the years and over the past few decades it, it's always been one or two significant failures per year. It's just that the immense tragedy like at Brumadino that, that uh, took hundreds of lives that have really shocked the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how should companies look at their tailing dams processes or procedures now like if uh, looking at it now after all these tragedies that have happened what should they what should they, and if they probably i wouldn't say necessarily whether they're at risk but what should they look at their procedure how should they look at their procedures and processes now
1: yeah, that, that's an excellent question, and uh, if we can go back to the Mount Polley failure in Canada, and I don't remember what year it was, but it was in within the last 10 years anyway, the Canadians didn't think that a tailings facility would ever fail in Canada, because the Canadians are very proactive in coming up with their own guidelines uh, that that are used worldwide, and... So that shocked the Canadians when Mount Polley, the Mount Polley tailings facility failed. But it didn't seem to shock the rest of the world because there's a tailings dam failure every, uh, you know, once or twice a year. Yeah. Uh, it, it took for Samarco and then Brumadino really to wake up the rest of the industry to the point where everybody is becoming greatly concerned about their tailings facilities now. Mm-hmm. There's been probably a little bit too little money spent on tailings management in some places by some companies. There's there's some companies that have always taken a robust um, direction for tailings, but some, you you know, it's the it's the waste product, and people are not interested in overspending on a waste product. Yeah. Um, and, and until now, and I think people are understanding that you've got to have risk-informed designs, and you've got to spend the right amount of money. It doesn't mean that we're building something that's ten times safer than it has to be. It's just as safe as it needs to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, so, how's the the tailings management changed over the years? Um, obviously, since you've I suppose been involved.
1: Well, it, it kind of depends where you go. Um, I've worked on facilities all around the world, on and many different countries. Uh, some have very advanced regulations and and traditions and practices, and some are are just developing those those codes and practices. And usually, when we go in there, not just necessarily we stand tech or or night peace hold. If there's not an existing regulation, then an appropriate regulation or set of regulations from somewhere else is brought in and adopted that is better than whatever that country is, is using at the moment. Um, back a couple decades ago, we did that in Peru, we adopted Nevada's the state of Nevada's uh, regulations for mine waste management. Uh, and, and it is changing in many, many different ways over time. One of the big advances now is what's called filtered tailings. A lot of people call it dry stack tailings. I, I don't like to call it that because it's not dry and it gives you a false impression that it's dry. But if you remember your old coffee your drip coffee maker, you'd you'd put a paper filter in there and the water would seep through it and then you'd have to throw out those coffee grounds. So filtered tailings are more or less the consistency of that wet coffee grounds when you're throwing it away. It could be a little bit drier, but it's not a lot drier than that. Yeah, a lot of people think that filtered tailings is the future of tailings management. Maybe it will be one day, but it's certainly not the one size fits all. You know, it's not a silver bullet and there's no magic solution to every tailings facility.
0: Yeah. And if there was obviously a, a junior engineer wanting to, um, to get into that specialization, what would trap them to that line of work? And I suppose what kind of skills would they need? Or is it a special type of person that would be interested in? in specializing in in tailings?
1: Ah, good question. So uh, yeah, first of all, it would be somebody that's really interested in the broad topics of geotechnical engineering, the ones that I mentioned earlier, but also somebody that likes to have a combination, a good balance of being inside and outside, you know, inside to get the analytical and design experience, the the exposure to teams uh, working with different Bosses and different teams, but also to, the the desire to spend some time outside to do the site investigations, to watch after the construction, to watch after the operations, and ultimately the the uh, the closure of the facility. So, somebody that really wants to see a larger world than just to be an analyst or just to be a modeler. So. It's, it's somebody that has a lot of curiosities about the broader topics pertaining to tailings and mine waste management.
0: Yeah. Um, and have you worked on any really good projects that you would like to share um, and the challenges that you would have you may have faced with a, a tailings project and how you overcome them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've I've worked on a, I've worked, yeah, I've I've worked on a few of those. And one of them I can probably tell you about was in Nicaragua. Um, I had a colleague, this was with my former company. I had a colleague contact me. He was just leaving Nicaragua and he said, Brian, you need to get down here because their tailings dam is suffering. And so I got down there as quickly as I could. And there was a a smaller tailings facility, but it was right upstream from a village. I don't know why population centers always seem to grow close to tailings facilities, but they they seem to, and I'm, I, that's a mystery to me why anybody would wanna uh, park their house right next to a tailings dam. Yeah. But the, the, the crest of the, the dam itself had slumped down a couple, three meters and the crest width that was remaining was only about a half a meter wide. It, you, you could barely even walk on the crest of the, the dam. Now, fortunately, the, the supernatant pond, the, the water on top of the tailings facility was a long way away, and the tailings beach um, adjacent to the dam seemed to be fairly stiff. So my assignment from there was to try to figure out how to stabilize the thing. And they didn't have very good design documents. They had a lot of designs, but they didn't seem to have followed the designs to the T. And so I had to get a lot of anecdotal uh, information. There was one person with a scribble on their whiteboard that seemed to portray the construction fairly well. Uh, There was some laboratory testing and and site investigations that I could use for this. So I designed a buttress. Oh, I should say we, we evacuated the the villagers that were living below and they really didn't want to go. Nobody wants to leave their houses. You know, and I should say it's in a beautiful Eden like jungle. It was just, it was just an amazing, beautiful place. And so the, the, People they were bought out of their homes and they moved somewhere else. And I designed uh, a buttress for this thing to stabilize it. And we started rebuilding the embankment after the buttress was built. Uh, But I, I had to leave the country before the buttress was finalized. And I was in the Managua airport and I heard over the PA system mr ulrich mr brian ulrich please stand by for a phone call and so i was waiting and waiting and waiting for this phone call and i went to the desk agent and i said i I need to wait as long as i can for this phone call and it was just not coming and finally the gate agent said we need to close the door if you're going to be on this flight you need to go in now so i went in and got on the flight and i was feeling horrible in case somebody needed my help but it had been like 40 45 minutes since i got the first announcement and so i i flew home and i got to the office and i called back to the mine and i said were you trying to get a hold of me and they said yeah and i said well what, what was wrong and they said well fortunately brian before you left us you gave us really good training and before i left them I, my instruction to them was keep building the buttress, and they they kept saying, "Well, what if this keep building the buttress?" You know, yeah. no no matter what they asked, I said keep building the buttress. And so they said, "Brian, we we knew what you were going to say. You were going to say keep building the buttress," and I, I said, "Okay, have you kept building the buttress?" And they said, "Yes," and they they did finish the buttress. And after that, they reconstructed the portion of the embankment that had slumped down. And, and now the, the facility is in closure and reclamation, so a pretty good little success story. But at the same time, I felt horrible getting on the airplane just in case the thing was actually in need of my assistance. I, 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 I was really Drawn in both directions whether I should get on or not, but it just seemed like if they really needed me They would have called in that 40 minute time span.
0: Yeah, certainly Now That's an interesting uh, story And uh, obviously a a success Um, I meant for anyone listening um, No matter what I suppose discipline they're in involved in a mining operation on site I mean, if they had any concerns about their their tailings, does it? I mean, sometimes it sounds to me some of these things just happen, just happen out the out the blue. But sometimes they're probably preventable. Do do is there a lead up to when a tailings will collapse? Um, Is there signs that show when a tailings Mm. will collapse, or Mm. is it just spontaneous and it happens?
1: yeah, very good question. Um, I, I suppose it depends. For Brumadino, the latest failure that happened about a year ago in Brazil, uh, the reports are that there was no surface cracking. There was nothing visible from the outside. But I understand that there might have been some of the instrumentation that have been changing readings over time. and I, I think I think there's almost always something that's changing if you are looking or listening in the right place if your instrumentation isn't where it really ought to be then it might not be telling you what you need to what you need to have so but
0: it's all data-driven, then,
1: a lot of it be. is uh, it, yeah it, it can be very visual
0: yeah
1: i worked on a facility in south africa that had a lot of cracking going on just before it suffered an event. Now the event in that case, we we changed things around rapidly enough, so the only thing that this event was was a pretty minor slump. Um, it dropped down a couple of meters, kind of it's very similar to the one in in uh, Nicaragua. Only this facility was much much larger with a, a vast pond of water on top, 22 million cubic meters of water sitting on top, and, and, um, and so in that particular case, there was a lot of surface cracking that could be observed, but th- that's not always the case, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident that there's something that could be observed, either in instrumentation or visually, that should give you some indications.
0: Okay. Um, and what's I suppose what's the future for tailings and how should companies be better prepared for to I suppose to improve into improve their tailings so it, it removes the risk away so these these catastrophes don't actually happen
1: well well there, there would be a number of steps one of them I, I mentioned would be to to develop your designs based on risk. Yeah. And so risk analyses, I think, are going to be a lot more involved and, and there's going to be a lot more attention paid to them and especially on how to reduce your risks. But there, there's a lot of lot to be said for innovation. Never stop innovating. Um, the Gold Corp, who got acquired by Newmont and became Newmont Gold Corp and now um, went back to being called Newmont. But when they were Gold Corp, they were looking at combining – tailings and mine rock into a blended product that would be more resistant to um, any kind of deformations. It would, it would act more like a waste rock facility uh, than tailings. And you could actually construct something out of it. So it's that kind of innovations. We need more innovations in the filtration. And there, there's a lot of um, people looking at how to innovatively solve this problem with uh, you know things they haven't even revealed to us yet, but using polymers for stabilization or binders or anything like that to uh, stiffen up the the tailings that are deposited. You know, it's it's the it's the innovators that are going to solve the problems of tomorrow. Maybe we already have those in front of us. Uh, but we, we need all the, the equipment suppliers and all of their developers to keep thinking of how to do things bigger and faster and and, and larger because the, the mining properties, the mining ore bodies are going to keep getting larger and larger and more complex over time, not simpler and simpler. So we really need everybody to be thinking innovation.
0: Yeah. I mean, with obviously automation becoming more more apparent within the mining industry, um, and you yeah. obviously mentioned about data. Obviously, you can see physically see if a tailings dam there could be some issues, but obviously also looking at data. So, do you think with automation um, coming more into effect, there's obviously big scope for for automation within the tailings. Discipline, I suppose. So, so this data can be read. All to, um, warning signs can be then easily detected and given out to appropriate people to to act upon. If it's yeah, not yeah, but- doing that.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that uh, reminds me of one of your recent interviews. I think Live Carroll is her name?
0: Yeah, Leif Carroll, yeah.
1: Leif, Leif Carroll, yeah. She she was talking about, well, data for data's sake is, is no good at all. You've got to figure out what you're going to use it for. And for sure, uh, the the human aspect of that data, it, it needs a human eye cast on it at some point, whether you were looking for change yeah, in, the, in the in the readings or the impacts that it has on slope stability analyses uh, There there is a lot of really great automation and it's getting people to use more and more instrumentation Which means that we have to pay more and more attention to the data that we are getting so that we're not just filling up Appendices with data.
0: Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's obviously using the data effectively and actually worthwhile it actually changes an outcome
1: yeah that's so, right that's
0: yeah. right okay i've got two more questions uh, Sorry, i've got one more question and then um i want i want you to uh, tell the audience about your podcast um and this question i'm going to start asking every guest that i have on the show um, hmm. if there was one person you would like to listen to on this podcast or someone that we must interview who would that be
1: you know what? There are so many interesting people in the mining industry. Um, I, for, for some reason, the name Rob McEwen is coming to mind. Rob okay. has been yeah. he's been one of the f- guys out in the front in the industry. He's always um, innovating and finding ore bodies where nobody's found them before, and kind of leading the charge in. Um, in investing in gold and i think he's just a very fascinating person
0: okay yeah that's certainly uh, certainly a person that i'd be definitely interested in so uh yeah have to do my uh digging around and um head, use my headhunting skills to uh approach him and see if we can uh see we'd like to do a uh podcast
1: so, well, I well i don't know if it helps you any but uh a couple of years ago i actually had to hang up on rob <laughs> And the, the title of the story is much more fascinating than the story itself. So I was working on a very small project for his company. And he called me while I was driving down the mountains from Vale to Denver. Right. And it's a really, really windy mountain road. And I, he called and I couldn't even understand who he was because it was breaking up so badly. And so uh, after a Few moments i just hung up on them so that's that's the real story was i couldn't even tell who it was the, the title of the story i hung up on rob McEwen is, is a much better story yeah it
0: certainly is certainly is and something to remember yeah um yeah so i wonder if you can tell the audience about your podcast um because obviously i take it some would like to uh like to hear more hear more from yourself
1: yeah, sure. That's great. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, Brian Ulrich, B-R-Y-A-N-U-L-R-I-C-H. And I've also got a blog that I started um, something like a year ago, so it's just BrianUlrich.net. And I I talk mostly about mining, but sometimes other things come to mind as well. And I started a podcast late last year. It's called Behind the Scenes with Brian, And it's about engineering and mining and mine waste management and whatever else comes to my mind. And sometimes the other topics don't really have anything to do with mining. I just want to want to chat about some things. But I've had a lot of my friends and colleagues on the podcast, and of course, like you, I'm always looking for the next. Interviewee to, to have on the podcast, so yeah, if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't. Uh, it would be great if I could have a couple more listeners migrate over there and enjoy both of these podcasts.
0: yeah certainly. So yeah, so if anyone anyone listening that wants to uh, have a look at some of Brian's work and podcasts and blogs and may want to have more of a technical chat, then um, yeah, reach out to Brian and uh, either go on a podcast, have a chat. Maybe get involved in some of the blogs. Yeah, by, by all means. Is there a way that they can uh, get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, you Something can always way. find me. Yeah, you can always find me through LinkedIn. Uh, that's that's probably the easiest way. Or you can comment on my uh, blog if, if that works. Uh, I've got a personal email address, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Ulrich, U-L-R-I-C-H, underscore P-E, like professional engineer. Yep. At, out, at outlook.com
0: okay so yeah reach out to brian if um, if you want to go on his podcast um like i said he likes more guests and i suppose it can be more more of a technical podcast obviously different to this but more of a technical where you can talk more technical and whether that's in your field or a different field within mining or maybe just just have a general chat about mining
1: yeah yeah it can it can be either technical or it can be chatty it depends i've had a lot of chatty ones with my friends
0: yeah always well i really appreciate your time brian um just just uh uh last um last bit i want to say um so in regards to the indaba mining conference which is in cape town in two weeks time which is from the third to the sixth of february um All Dig Deep listeners can receive 10% off their tickets when you register um, with the discount Dig Deep 10. Um, So if you want full details, look at the show notes accompanying this podcast. Um, I'll also include Brian's um, details as well to his podcast, to his blogs as well. So um, yeah, you can reach out to him. So um, really appreciate um, your time listening. Hope you learned something. Um, Obviously, it's a specialization tailings and um, I certainly obviously learned some something from this and uh, hopefully you guys do as well. So until next time,
2: happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.
1: Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.